Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. It's on page 1013 in the Pew Bibles and printed on your bulletin. Our spiritual living series on James's letter is almost over. This is the second to last sermon in this series. And James has addressed many important topics. Trials, suffering, wisdom, prayer, faith, the way we speak, our heart's motives in why we fight. But today's passage returns to the subject of trials. In chapter 1, James told us to count it all joy when we face trials. And within these verses, he emphasizes another of God's fruit of the Spirit that we're to cultivate as we face suffering. Patience. And before we read this passage, ask yourself, am I impatient while I'm suffering? Do I become angry when life is not easy? Do I accept the trials I encounter or do I complain? You see, the way we endure trials tells us the true source of our hope. And it tells us what we really believe about God's character. But let's read chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray for understanding and for humility this morning. Father, thank you for your word. You've revealed yourself for us to know you. We thank you for bringing us to you. We ask for your help that we would be able to understand this passage, that it would affect us, that your spirit would transform us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we heard a warning to the rich, those who have comfort in this life. And this week our passage speaks to Christians who are suffering in this world. What do the rich and the downtrodden have in common? Is it possible that they share the same values? See, the idols of our hearts can produce different attitudes depending on our circumstances. What do I mean? Well, for example, consider that a craving for the approval of others might turn a self-pitying victim of bullies into a self-glorifying peacock once he gains a measure of acceptance. It's that same desire for approval. In a similar way, both the arrogance of the rich that James has described and the bitterness of the poor or the suffering can spring from 
trusting in our possessions for security, from valuing comfort in this life. James urges his hearers to pay attention to the hope of their hearts. You see, we naturally cherish comfort in the present. But if we're living spiritually, we will wait on God for better things to come after our suffering. And even for better things to come through our suffering. We are to wait on God for better things to come after our suffering. We're going to move through this passage in two sections. The promise and then perseverance. First, the promise. James switches from talking about the rich at the start of chapter 5 to now addressing Christians who are suffering. He begins verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers. That word, therefore, means in light of the unfair treatment I've been describing, in light of the holding back of your proper wage and extortion and being dragged to court, be patient. We have problems in the system today, sure, but we would be shocked at the hardships that these early Christians faced. He gives them hope. He commands them to be patient because the Lord Jesus is returning. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So Christ's return is the goal. It's the end of our patience. It's something that's certain to happen, although we don't know when it's going to happen. It's out of our control. Verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The farmer has only to wait. He works hard, but his harvest depends on something beyond him. In the same way, we depend on God. We wait for his promised return. We are out of control. If you were in charge, if I were in charge, if we could control our trials, if we could know when they would end, we would never exercise patience. We would never gain that fruit. It would never be cultivated in our lives. The uncertainty is what causes us to trust. Not only is Christ's return the goal of our patience, it's also the grounds for it. The promise of Jesus coming back is the source of our patience and our strength of heart. Verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Gird yourself up. Be firm. Take heart. Stand on this promise as you face trials and persecution and suffering. And by the way, your patience is not just a matter of the relationship between you and God. No, it's you need patience to govern your relationships with others as well. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James has spoken at least uh, a few other times in this letter about the discord that can happen among the family of God. Can you imagine how much different your life would be if you obeyed this command not to grumble against others? How much would the atmosphere of your home change? It's not easy by any stretch, but it is a command. And it's a command with a warning. Christ's coming is a hopeful occasion, but don't forget that he's coming to judge. 
and to right the wrongs. And even the lives of believers will be examined. The judge is standing at the door. His return is imminent. Let us never wink at it. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Oh, sure, Christ is coming back. You know, we wink. It's, it's not that way. It's real, and it's not going to be like those left-behind books. It's, it's going to be glorious and, and terrifying and indescribably wonderful for those who are looking forward to it because we love Christ, the judge and the deliverer. So we have the promise of Christ's coming as the goal and the ground of our patience. And now we're going to see perseverance in the lives of God's people in the past. First, the prophets. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. James might be taking it for granted that we consider those blessed. Do we really consider them blessed who remain steadfast? Because the unspoken end of that thought is that those who remain steadfast sometimes did so unto death. Prophets were killed for speaking the word of God. Debbie read earlier from the book of Hebrews some descriptions of what these saints endured. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, wandering in deserts and mountains and living in caves. Do you regard them as blessed or do you think they were foolish? What if those examples weren't so far removed? What if it were today? If your Christian friend suffered the loss of possessions or even his life for speaking the truth, for opposing some cherished idol of our culture, would you admire that example? Would you rejoice? Or would you think, well, he brought this upon himself. If only he hadn't been so divisive, if only he kept his opinions to himself. No, James says we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. They're there for our example. James said at the start of his letter that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It leads to completeness, maturity, counted joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And remember that other saints have gone before you. We sang about them before for all the saints. We sang about their reward, their rest after the well-fought fight. What about Job? Look at verse 11. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. A quick review of Job, you can find his story in the Old Testament. He was immensely rich until God allowed the devil to strike, depriving Job of his health and his wealth and all his children. And his wife was no help. She told him, give up, curse God and die. But he didn't. And yes, he questioned why all this happened to him. But ultimately, he did not give up trusting God. In the end, his health and wealth were restored, and he had more children. He could not have known the end of his story. We have more knowledge than he did about the ultimate end of our suffering. We can persevere with faith in God's character. James assures us God is compassionate. He's merciful. He brings us through suffering with purpose. 
And now James returns to this theme of our speech and our dealings with others. He urges his readers to have integrity in their speech and in their actions. Verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is actually echoing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew chapter 5, insisting that Christians should be honest and reliable. We should not have to resort to oaths to get others to believe what we say. If I'm known as someone who doesn't keep my word, I bring dishonor to the name of God. And also, it's prideful to try to add weight to our words by invoking things over which we have no control. In fact, I'll read Jesus' similar words from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. We, we don't have the authority to make casual promises as if we control the future. Our simple yes or no should suffice. James is encouraging his hearers to be blameless in their words and deeds as they live in this world enduring suffering and trials. So we have the promise of Christ's coming. We have the perseverance of those who have come before. We're to wait for better things from God that are coming after our suffering. How does this affect you this morning? Well, first of all, is Christ's coming your ultimate hope? Is that what you're looking forward to? When he returns, will it be as your judge or as your compassionate and merciful deliverer? The truth is that you deserve God's judgment. We've grumbled. We've broken oaths. We all sin every day, failing to measure up to God's righteousness. And by nature, we deserve his wrath. But instead, he poured it out on Jesus at the cross. Jesus, who alone measured up to God's righteousness, was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. He died for us sinners. He took our punishment in our place. And if you believe that, you can look forward to his return. You can endure suffering with hope. You can be patient. I don't claim to know everyone's situation in this room, but most of us probably aren't acquainted with true poverty or true persecution, though we may be at some point. But we still face suffering. It comes upon us when we don't expect it. What are you living through right now? I hope you'll let these words establish your heart in the hope of eternity with Christ. He is the better thing that we are ultimately waiting for after our suffering. And in the meantime, are you taking out your frustrations in your suffering on others, grumbling against them? One more angle 
of application here before we come to the Lord's Supper. How established is your heart for changes that might occur for people of faith? Maybe even in our lifetime. Persecution that could arise. You know, what if you lived in a, a country like China where the government has promised to crack down on religion? There was a couple, John and Betty Stam. They were missionaries back in the 30s to China. They left for the mission field. That very year, communists took over. They were approaching their village. They couldn't get away in time. John was beheaded for his faith. And soon after, his wife was killed as well. Could you endure suffering as a Christian? Would you still speak the name of Jesus if it were illegal? Would your love for Him allow you to suffer for Him as He did for you? We dare not make any rash promises. Yes, we would, I would gladly face persecution in Jesus' name. We can only depend on Him for the strength to suffer and for the patience that's required. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would establish our hearts, that we would set our minds on the hope that we have of your coming, that you would fill us with love for you, with gratitude for what we've been given, our salvation, our hope of escape from punishment for our sin. We thank you for Christ's coming, for taking on our sin. We love you. In Jesus' name.